Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zilkowski. I want to welcome you to episode four of the Oral History Podcast. Uh, Typically at this time, I make corrections to the previous episode, but I don't have any corrections for episode three. I do have an addition, however. In episode three, we covered what I called the Canyon Cable 11 years, and it was the story of my first job in television while I was in high school. And I mentioned that one of the most famous people that I'd ever met up to that point was Chevy Chase, and it was an opportunity I had to spend some time on the set, the rolling set of National Lampoon's Vacation um, and some of the life lessons that I learned that day. So go back and listen to episode three if you don't know what I'm referring to, but the addition I wanted to make was regarding the second most famous person that I met while I was at Canyon Cable 11. In 1978, ABC came out with a TV show that they wanted to capitalize upon the box office success of Star Wars, and the show they came up with was a show called Battlestar Galactica. It ran for two years, and it featured a couple of things. One, the most overused footage of special effects I've ever seen in a series. There was a series of explosions during these dogfights between the good guys and the bad guys that you could almost every episode know you were going to see that same explosion of that one vehicle with the good guy's fighter flying through the debris. The second thing it was most popular for was a brand new form of bad guys, and those bad guys were called the Cylons. The Cylons were these silver metallic robot characters for what all that we knew, and they were bent on the destruction of humanity. And the main Cylon, who was a slightly gold-tinted gentleman, um, where everyone else was silver, was played by a gentleman by the name of Rex Cutter. Rex Cutter, he has a very short uh, filmography on IMDb, but his most famous role was that of the main Cylon named Red Eye. And while I was at Canyon Cable 11, Joe, the gentleman that I worked with uh, that I mentioned in the last episode, he and I had the opportunity to interview Rex. He had moved to Canyon City, Colorado. And we also had the opportunity to shoot some footage of my friend Joe wearing the Cylon helmet. I was the videographer and I shot it from the ground so as to make Joe look more imposing in that silver helmet, but I was just enamored. That was one of the coolest things I'd had the opportunity to do up to that point. So that's my addition to the Canyon Cable 11 years, and it really leads me forth into this next section, which I'm going to call the KTSC TV years. And it's really kind of college and KTSC. Um, When I was a junior in high school, I had made a determination as to where I was going to go to school. I'll touch on that a little bit later. But I did change my mind, and by the time I was a senior in high school, I decided that I was going to stay closer to home, and I was going to attend what then was called USC, the University of Southern Colorado. It's now called CSU Pueblo in Pueblo, Colorado. 
When I attended the first two years um, out of high school, uh, attended college there at USC, I had the opportunity to get involved in the mass communications department, um, take the entry-level courses, begin some work on the school newspaper, but most importantly, I had an opportunity to work in radio. I wasn't sure where the TV station was at at that point. I had not been able to find it, and radio was available, and they were in need of people, so my friend Sean and I both became radio announcers for KTSC-FM, and we enjoyed it greatly. Well, after two years of college, Sean and I both decided that we were just not getting out of the college experience what we had hoped to get out. So we both left and spent a few years in the work world. I actually took a job as a radio announcer, um, working opening shifts and closing shifts for a little radio station in Canyon, uh, Canyon City, Colorado, called KRLN Radio. And it was when I went back in 1989 to USC to finish my degree that I determined that I wanted to be involved in television. And the first day of my, the remainder of my college career, I walked into my advisor and I said, I want to take an internship somewhere. And he said, well, you've done radio. Why don't you go do television? Uh, KTSE TV had just built a brand new facility on the campus there in Pueblo, Colorado, and it's called the Buell Communications Center. And it was kind of the entry point of the university, at least on the the eastern edge of, of or no, the southern edge, I guess, of campus. And it was my first time ever in that station. It was brand new, pretty much. And I walked in, and I walked into the office of a gentleman who, at that time, I didn't know, but who would become a dear friend of mine, a guy named Ron Weeks. Ron had come to KTSC in a few years prior, after having been in Las Cruces, New Mexico, he had spent some years at New Mexico State University. And it was at this point that I crossed paths with Ron. And I guarantee you, it's because God in his sovereignty wanted Ron and I to be friends. Because when I was a junior, as I mentioned earlier, a junior in high school, I had determined that I was going to go to New Mexico State University. And had I gone in the fall of 1983 to New Mexico State University, I would have crossed paths with Ron Weeks. But I chose to stay in close to home. I went to Pueblo, I went to USC, and what do you know, when I go back to college in the fall of 1989, I cross paths with Ron Weeks. Ron becomes my advisor, basically. He's the production manager of KTSC-TV at the time. And the very first day I walked into his office, and I said, I would like an internship. And he said, that'd be great. He said, I've got a young guy here. I want you to go back with him to the back editing suite. And he's going to show you how to edit together what we called PBs, promotional breaks. And we gathered all these tapes and we sat down at an editor and I watched this young man do it and kind of walked away going, I love this and I want to be a part of this. Well, two days later, I show up for my second day of my internship and I walk in and I asked Ron where the other young man was. And he said, well, he wasn't able to be here today. He said, do you think you can handle it on your own? And I said, absolutely. And I went back there and I edited and did exactly what I did at Canyon Cable 11. I became so impassioned 
for the work that I was doing there that pretty soon they were letting me do other things besides just editing the PBs. Uh, I worked my way into productions. I Every time they'd let me try a new piece of equipment, I would do it. I started out on camera, and I ran camera for a series of productions. Eventually, I worked my way toward floor directing. I eventually worked my way up into the booth and ran audio, and every chance I got, I was absorbing like a sponge television from the lovely people that I had the opportunity to work with at KTSC-TV. Um, I was one of the first, I still, as a student, one of the first uh, student directors of one of our live productions, a program called Standoff, and just loved everybody that I worked with, loved my professors, loved a gentleman by the name of Sam Ebersall. Sam be and I became great friends, worked on uh, a fly fishing documentary that he did, and I used to spend Thursday nights at his house with him and his wife and their kids for dinner prior to our, our producing and directing standoff. And just a, a litany of people that I cared deeply for. Ken Shaka in Master Control and Scott Jones, a dear friend of mine. Um, Sean Anglum, who worked in promotions and and just the list goes on and on. Uh, Michelle Nesmith back in traffic. These people were, were dear to me. And over the two years that I was a student, I worked and interned every opportunity I could. In fact, I got so far along in my degree as a mass communications student that I had had no production uh, classes and needed to take one. And the opportunity came up and one of the gentlemen that I went to, one of the professors said, well, you could probably teach the intro level class after all the work you've done. So we, we want you to take this class. And I did. And I spent uh, a semester learning and, and growing in my relationship and friendship with Sam Ebersall, the professor. Well, back to Ron Weeks. Uh, Ron is a dear friend, and, and Ron was one of the first people to connect with me after episode one launched, and he and I have reconnected, shared some highs and lows in our lives, and shared some challenges and, and just difficulties. They're not His stories are not my stories to tell, but he is a dear friend and just a, a wonderful man who uh, loves me and loves the Lord. And we've just had the opportunity to reconnect. And I know it's because God put us together. Because back in 1983, as I'd said before, if I had made that original de decision to go to New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, I would have been working with him. But I chose to wait around and I chose to go back to college in 1989. And I pa crossed paths with him there. My days at KTSC were amazing. Um, as I mentioned, working on local productions was tremendous. Um, standoff was the highlight of my resume, so to speak. It was a, a Thursday night half hour program that had been around several years before I came along and directed, but it was a point counterpoint show uh, hosted by a gentleman by the name of Dan Thomas. And I still recall 
going to the to the leadership, the producers, including Sam, and including a young young lady who was a student with me as well by the name of Dana Perino. If you don't know Dana, Dana is one of the five now on uh, Fox News, and she was the White House spokesperson after Tony Snow was diagnosed with cancer at the end of George W. Bush's. Um, tenure as our president of the United States. So yes, I worked with and knew Dana Perino. And it was uh, the standoff program. It was often a situation where the two people who were there to kind of mix it up in this point-counterpoint program would show up. They would spend some time with the producers and the, the director of the show, and everybody would get friendly. And by the time they got on air, there was very little pointing and counterpointing to be done. I remember talking to the producers at one point and said, I have some radical ideas as to how to make this a little bit more tense. And they were not really akin to my ideas. Um, I was a psychology major, so some of the things that I had proposed were taking a caster off of each person's chair so they would rock slightly and making the studio a little bit warmer than normal and putting a high-frequency, almost imperceptible pitch in the room, painting the set red, all things that would have probably irritated everybody into a point of very strong point-counterpoint programs, but it was a little bit too manufactured for the time. Probably not today, but at that point, it was a little too manufactured. So standoff was a wonderful time. I, I enjoyed that. I also had the opportunity to work on a program that was hosted by a local chiropractor, and he kind of gave medical advice and and back advice and worked on that as well, that aired immediately after standoff, had the opportunity to work on a number of um, auctions. Now, nowadays, you don't see them as often on public television stations, but in the 1980s and 1990s, auctions were the mainstay. In fact, there were two at our station. There was one in the fall that we did, which was an art auction. They commissioned local artists to produce various pieces of work and then just invited everybody who was artistic, photography, pottery, um, sculptures, paintings, anything, to submit their work and it would be auctioned off to raise money for this public television affiliate. Had wonderful times creating pieces, um, five to six minute eight-minute pieces highlighting these artists and enjoyed that tremendously and then had the opportunity to work on the actual auction itself. But every spring in public television, there was a major auction and the development people would go out and solicit all kinds of things from automobiles and homes all the way down to gift certificates for local restaurants. And these things would be compiled over the year. And during a a one-week span in spring, Public television stations would auction off all of these materials to the highest bidder, and it all went to benefit that public television station. And it was the most raucous, wild time you would ever want to be a part of. It was live TV like you've never experienced. There was things going on all over the studio of KTSE, and it was just amazing how it all played out. I remember one particular night when an item 
had been donated by a studio, Paramount Studio in Los Angeles had actually donated a, a used script from a science fiction series that premiered in 1987 called Star Trek The Next Generation. And the script was from an episode that the particular actor who signed it, a guy by the name of LeVar Burton, who had much fame on public television and as Reading Rainbow, as the host of Reading Rainbow, he had a small part in this particular episode because he was injured early in the episode. But it was his script, highlighted lines, um, worn edges, and all of that. And there was one girl who was on staff. She she was a volunteer, actually. Her name was Radonna Rowley. And Radonna and I were both intent on winning the bid for that script. And we spent all night waiting for that particular item to come up. I made sure I had some time off when that item was up for bid so that I wasn't working. And then we feverishly bid against one another. And I'm proud to say, sorry, Radana, to make you relive this, I won the bid and brought that piece of memorabilia home. And I still have it. It's orange covered. It's, as I said, it's got all of LeVar Burton's lines highlighted. And it's just one of my, television-wise, one of my greatest treasured keepsakes. So those are some of the memories. The The memories of the events, the memories of the productions. Um, I had the opportunity to travel with Ron, my friend, to do a documentary called Historic Hotels of the Rocky Mountain West. We traveled to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we traveled elsewhere and shot footage for that. I had an opportunity one time while I was employed at KTSC, I was working on a proposal for a program, a sports program, and actually had the opportunity to be at Denver Broncos training camp. I went up one afternoon, took the gear, and shot footage of John Elway and team uh, practicing, stayed there through the entire uh, end of practice and actually was standing shoulder to shoulder with a group of reporters when Dan Reeves, the then coach of the Denver Broncos, walked off the field and fielded questions from the team or from the team of reporters. And I remember I'd been there a while. I was there by myself and the equipment was heavy. And all of these guys were literally shoulder to shoulder with me asking Dan questions. And I rested on my back leg for a very short period of time. And as I did, the hole closed up and I was cut out of the circle. And Dan finished the questions and said, that's enough for today. And everybody walked away and they knew better and I didn't. And I stopped Dan Reeves, the then coach of the Denver Broncos. And I asked him if I could ask him one additional question. And he stayed and went for a one-on-one -on -one interview with me. And I was so thrilled. Um, seeing John Elway on the field was tremendous, but standing nose to nose and interviewing Dan Reeves was even better. And it was one of the highlights that I had at my time at KTSC. My time there, um, as I mentioned, the people were the highlight. Um, one of my dear friends who I worked side by side with, a gentleman by the name of Jack Passananti, he left a short period after I had started and started a job with the Department of Corrections. Jack has since uh, passed away and I and I grieve uh, the loss of my friend. But when Dan, when uh, Jack left, I applied for the job 
of production assistant to be Ron's right-hand man. And it was in the fall of 1991, while I was still a student, that I began my tenure at KTSC-TV as a production assistant. I worked for that last semester carrying 12 credit hours and um, taking one of my most dreaded classes, which after all the dread really wasn't all that bad, but it was uh, a full semester of taking classes and working 30 hours a week to further my career at KTSC. When I finished my last uh, final of, in December of 1991, the next Monday I walked into KTSC as a full-time employee and just did everything that anyone would allow me to do and to grow. I recall spending hours just absorbing the knowledge of guys like Tom and Ian. They were the engineers. And they, as long as they would let me hang around with them while they were working, I was absorbing the the, the mechanical side of things as much as the production side of things. I would hang around Scott and Ken as they worked in master control and try to understand that aspect of it. Scott was a whiz at what we called the the fast change in television a multitude of different tv formats uh, videotape formats are used a lot of what we used were three-quarter inch video cassettes but there was one there were actually two one inch video uh, tape machines that were reel to reel and the video had to be the reel had to be put on it had to be spun through a series of gears and then put on the take-up wheel much like a normal reel-to-reel deck, but more complicated. And Scott was phenomenal at being able to thread a machine and get things cued in less than the 30 seconds sometimes that it would take to play a commercial spot. So I watched all of this play out, and I just bathed at the feet of these people that were so instrumental in my understanding of television. And I enjoyed the relationships that I built when Ron left in 1994, he left to go to a university in Rexburg, Idaho, where he uh, began a new career. And it was at that time that I was one of several candidates, including Scott, for the position of Ron's job of production uh, director. And I'm happy to say, but I understand what it took but I, I, I was excited to be offered the job and it was, I was humbled by it to be um, made production director. And I still remember to this day learning more from Scott, who was one of the other candidates, after I was hired. I learned how to be a better manager and I learned how to be a better man and I learned how to be a better boss because Scott helped me through it all and he was very humble in doing so hired a girl named Christy to take my position, and between the three of us, we were the production department for KTSC for about a year and a half. And it was in 1995, in the latter part of 94, early 95, that I felt called into full-time ministry. I had taken the job and had told the gentleman who hired me, Greg Sin, who was the general manager at the time, that my greatest desire even though I was taking the job, my greatest desire was to work in full-time ministry. 
And it was KTSC, while at KTSC, that I was offered a job in Nashville, Tennessee, to work for a Christian art recording artist by the name of Steve Green. And I left my time at KTSC TV in December of 1995 and started my career in Nashville with Steve Green Ministries in January of 1995. But I still, the I would not have gotten the job at Steve Green Ministries had I not had the years at KTSC TV. I would have not known what I knew about production and television if it were not for people like Ron and Scott and Sam and others who taught me well. So my time at KTSC led me down the next path. And the next path is where we'll go again in the next episode. We'll talk about the Steve Green ministry years, and I've got many, many good stories to tell you then. But right now, as I often do, I want to take some time and I want to pray for you because, again, this podcast is less about me. And I know some of what I've covered today sounded a bit like uh, bragging, and I apologize for that. Some of it sounded like a, a resume tape, and I apologize for that. But you have to understand that the foundation that I built at KTSC brought me where I am today. And it's because of the people that I loved and served with there. So let me pray for you. Let me pray for those folks that I worked with at KTSC as well. So Father, I thank you for your love, and I thank you for the people that I had the privilege of working with at KTSC TV. Thank you for Scott. Thank you for Ron. Thank you for Jack and Sean and Greg and for Michelle and Christy and Marnie and others, Lord. Thank you for Ken and Ian and and others that I know I'm forgetting, Lord. But I just pray, Father, that you would bless these people. Thank you for how they built into my life character, uh, strength of character, hope, and skill. And thank you, Lord, for how you used them in my life. And Father, I pray for the listeners not just those who I served with and who might listen to this podcast, but for those who might listen that I didn't serve with. Lord, just give them the wisdom to uh, think about the people in their lives that have built into them, that have caused them to grow, caused them to be better men, better women, better managers, better bosses, better friends, better Christians because of the influence of people in their lives like those in my life. So Father, I pray for people to be drawn to you, to be drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that they would be encouraged to seek out the people in their lives that have built into them, to find them and to tell them how much they mean to them. So we praise you and we thank you for this time together. And we look forward to what you're going to do in each of these people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for episode four, uh, the KTSC TV years, and stay tuned. In two weeks, we'll have the Steve Green Ministry years, episode five of Oral History. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Oral History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.